like I said, I took probably 15, 20 years to unpack the lessons I learned. And I had ups and downs, if you remember. I did, I started as a painter um, for Carolyn and then moved around a little bit and then started on my own. And I had, my first two years were really successful. I was one of the top managers at the time. And then I thought, you know, I'm going to take on a bigger territory that people have done even better in, and I'm going to take that on. I'm going to crush it. And I failed like terribly. I was like right at the bottom, right? I think I did like 15,000 bucks that, that summer. And then the next year I went back to Burlington and it all worked really well again. Um, and, and that took me a long time to figure out and really start to understand both like what I was doing, uh, what people perceived I was doing, uh, how I handled people differently or, or the same in both places and they needed to be handled differently. And that really got me to spend more time thinking about uh, who I'm talking to. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Wow. So uh, thank you, leaders. Really appreciate you joining me today on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. I've got a, uh, an old friend, uh, Metz Kramer. Metz uh, was with us a number of decades ago. And, uh, you know, when our business was, was not what it is now. And, you know, first of all, it's really great. He reflects back on he had a really great season, a really poor season, and a really great season. He talks about why was that? And really, it was his understanding of what he really was selling to our customers at Student Works. Um, uh, we, we, we talk about his career progression and worked in some really, really large organizations and the influence he had and the role of influence in you know, large and small companies. And now he's transitioned into a, uh, um, a management consultancy and is really enjoying that. And um, Metz is really thoughtful really interesting. I really love the discussion that we had. I know you will too. And, uh, and again, I really appreciate you tuning in and, uh, and then, Hey, I just want to keep, you know, plugging the student works management program. And do you know of any powerful leaders, you know, and really want to set up fantastic careers like the one Mets has had and, and really thoughtful people who are looking to sort of, again, make an impact on, on, on our community, make an impact in this, um, challenging world that we're living into with more and more important choices um, about what our world's going to become. So you can email me at chris at leaderspodcast.ca or if you know someone or are interested in applying, you can go to leaderspodcast.ca slash apply now. Enjoy this podcast and have an unbelievably amazing day. Thanks so much. So welcome, Mets. Uh, thanks so much for joining our, our podcast. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, it's been a long time. It, it has been a long time. It's really great, and thanks for reaching out. I guess actually, the podcast uh, I, there were some there were some social media. I know a lot of people talk about social media, and they see the negatives about social media, and there are some really concerning negatives. But oh, yeah. I really see I really see a lot of uh, positives, and I know one of the things is 
is I know we've been connected, but it's like this is the first time we reconnected after a while. And oops. Um, and we basically you were just sort of reaching out and, and, and sort of commenting on one of the posts that we had. So it's a great opportunity to sort of reconnect. So well, yeah, I mean, it, and it reminds you, right? Like I, I see your posts come up and every once in a while it reminds me. And then really not a day goes by that I don't, I don't think of the lessons I learned. And I, it actually, I think it took me like 15 years to unpack the lessons, <laughs> maybe even 20 years to unpack the lessons I learned uh, at student in my time there. Yeah, no, well, no, that's, that's great. And, and again, I, you know, I speak as, you know, I was the 10th owner operator of the business. So I see the same things, right? So it's still kind of, uh, you were the 10th. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The 10th owner operator. And I, then I just kept doing it, just kept doing it. So, uh, <laughs> I'm a slow learner. <laughs> so, um, so tell me what you were like before our program. That's what was I like before the program? Well, I've always, um, I started working pretty young, mm-hmm. like in any sense of the word. Um, my parents didn't let me sit around and do nothing. They threw me out of the house and said, go do something. And, um, so I always, you know, played around the house, built things. And then very young, I started just kind of working. Um, and it was always, I always took it, I guess a little extreme. Like I, I did the paper route thing yeah. and, uh, I had one route and then another route came up and I took the other route and then I took another one and then I had like a newspaper empire and Saturday morning took me all morning to deliver all my papers, but I had, I had a lot of money. Yes. <laughs> yeah. For like a 12 year old, 13 year old, I had like a wad of cash all the time. Yeah. Um, I, I even sold like those chocolate bars. Yeah. But for charity. Yes. Yeah. But I made a margin on them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not surprised, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm, what was I like? I was, I always liked working. I mean, it was, there's, uh, it comes out of my background, I guess, but being productive. Yeah. Doing something is always, something I strive for yeah. I have a hard time sitting still. <laughs> yeah. Well, so do I, so do I. And, and it's something I'm, I'm working on actually is, 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 uh, <laughs> which is so funny. And it just so shows, shows, uh, you know, people in our program get it, you know, like I have a heart, you know, like if you, you met, met smiling going, Oh yeah, I so get that. You know, it's like, yeah, vacation, I, I'm, vacation I'm, is visiting a friend and doing a construction project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, I'm working on not working so hard. Oh, okay. I got it. That makes sense to me. But, but for most people, what are you talking about? You know, but well, <laughs> it's, it's, inter- and it's interesting what you speak about, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's one thing that's changed about the world and all sorts of things change about the world. But back in the day, um, having a newspaper route was normal. And, and I had a newspaper route and it was like, okay, you had to get up early. If you didn't get up early, then that client would call your parents <laughs> to sort of say, hey, what's going on? Like the newspaper's <laughs> not here. Or what not my parents. Yeah. Yeah. So so but that's that's what I recall. My brother and I had a newspaper route. And so you go, wow, there's some integrity. No, you've got to, to, you know, deliver this newspaper. It's not worthwhile. And, and I remember at one point, um, one of our, one of our trainings, it was like, so, and it was just kind of, I don't know why we asked the question, but it was like, how many people had newspaper routes? And it was literally 95% of people, you know? Wow. And, and now, unfortunately, so few people have that opportunity, you know? And again, yeah. obviously there's different opportunities, but that was a really great opportunity. And now it obviously, well, newspapers going away as well but 
Yeah. And in a way, like I did the Toronto star and that was like really your own little business. Like the star didn't know how many clients you had or who they were. Mm -hmm. You just asked, I need 37 papers this on, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. And that's what showed up. And they sent you a bill every two weeks for 37 papers. Right. So if you had 38 customers, you paid for 37 papers and someone didn't get a paper. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it was like, it was really up to you to, to decide what your inventory was and how many you delivered and who got paid and go and get the money yourself. Yes, and then yeah. what was left over was yours. Yeah, yeah. So, I, nope. I won't tell you all my dark secrets and how I scammed that system. <laughs> bad light on me (laughs) (laughs) okay well we'll move off that we'll move off those that that then um so so what was your biggest frustration as a teenager um uh before you you got started with uh, the student works management program i'm not sure i had it i I don't i'm sure i was a frustrated teenager i I had lots of freedom um i i think i always wanted to get life going Mm -hmm. And, uh, and starting to work and getting some money and being able to make choices for myself and to pay for things for myself and, um, kind of master of my own domain. I mean, if there was a f- any frustration, uh, it was just that I, that's always been a driver for me. Right. And, uh, right, right through to school. I mean, even in my head coming out of school and uh, university, it was like, now I'm done. Now I can start life. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, and now I fight for it really hard because it's like, no, no, I worked really hard to get here. Now it's time for me to live my life. And so I kind of got off the treadmill so I could live it. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. No, that's, that's great. And, and, and yeah, so, so, and that's something again, that, 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 that a lot of our, our young leaders feel is, 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 is like, Hey, you, you want to really live to the fullest and in school, maybe there's not, the same opportunity in some ways there's good opportunity in some ways there's there's not uh so what what do you still rely on from the uh from the program <laughs> my failures yeah <laughs> <laughs> um what do i rely on i i like i said i took probably 15 20 years to unpack the lessons i learned and um i had i had ups and downs if you remember i yeah. did uh, i started as a painter yeah um, for Carolyn and then moved around a little bit and then started on my own. And I had my first two years were really successful. I was one of the top managers at the time. And then I thought, you know, I'm going to take on a bigger territory that people have done even better in. And I'm going to take that on. I'm going to crush it. Right. And I failed Mm -hmm. terribly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like right at the bottom. Right. I think I did like 15,000 bucks that, that summer. Right. And and the next year I went back to Burlington and it all worked really well again. Um, and, and that took me a long time to figure out and really start to understand both like um, what I was doing, uh, what people perceived I was doing, uh, how I handled people differently right. or, or the same in both places and they needed to be handled differently. Right. And that really um, got me to spend more time thinking about uh, who I'm talking to and really understand the person their motivations, their drivers, their limitations, their whatever, um, to understand who they are so that I, I can understand how to approach them better rather than, you know, the first thing that worked, you'd kind of stuck with and you think that works for everyone because you were awesome for a while. Right. Right. And yeah. I think that's kind of like one of those challenges for, for all serial entrepreneurs 
or for even worse, you know, the entrepreneur that's done really, really well in one business and then, you know, thinks he's a genius and he's going to go do all kinds of other stuff and they fail. Yeah. Because they don't really understand why you were, why they were successful. Yeah. Failure is such a fantastic teacher. And a lot of times people are so frightened of failure. No, no, it's, 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 it really is. It really is great. And, and I know we, we, we spoke about this. We, Mets and I reconnected for about an hour last week and we were just chatting about things. So I already know what was going on. And I was, I was saying, you, you know, at the time, Mets, we really weren't even as clear why people bought from us back then. So, so, it, so it's like yeah. this wouldn't have happened, wouldn't happen to someone in the program now because we're really clear, but talk about the distinctions that you learned, you know, sort of, you know, you know, what, what created your really great success in your first year and your third year and what was happening in that second year. Um, so it, it was really about the clientele. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in Burlington, I had a lot of clientele that were, business people, executives, you know, they were busy. Um, they could associate with the young person trying to make, uh, you know, some money for school. Right. And they, they associated with the group of people that I hired. Right. Um, when I moved to Hamilton, I really became a competitor in the painting industry. Right. I think. Um, and that they didn't want to see the differentiation that I was just a student I was just doing this to make a to, to pay for school. Um, they would look at my quote and put it up against a professional painting company or some hack painting company, and they would compare them all equal. Right. Right. And and I didn't understand that, mm-hmm. um, so I never really learned how to speak to many of them. I would give my quotes and I would do the same song and dance, um, and it just didn't fit. I, I, I don't think I even uh, now understand what I would have had to do differently to be successful there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just know that it was how I approached people that didn't work and the executives liked it. And, uh, you know, if, if the thing that I unpack and if I go back and redo those summers, I mean, I would oversell, you know, putting me and the nice people, the, the nice student painters that I hired through school. Yeah. And, and then not even worry about the paint jobs. And, you know, I, I think I said last week too, my most successful summer, I had like the nicest kids working for me. Yeah. yeah. I had some girls, I had some guys, they were really personable. The the clients just loved hanging out. Most days when you went to pick them up, they were out back having a barbecue and drinking beer with the clients. Uh, and the clients were happy. They didn't yeah. care. Yeah. You know, it was a paid job. Yeah. Uh, and then the next year, I tried to get people who were more technically proficient, you know, yes. Or yes. Yeah. But they weren't so nice. Yeah. And the customers weren't as happy. Even yes. Technically, the paint was probably better. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's, you know, and then I took that to the end. And I, when I had kids and they had the lemonade stand, I, you know, I took the youngest, my little daughter, and she was like four or five. I'm like, you're going to stand out there, you know, and you're going to fly people down. And everyone stops. And yeah. like some people just handed her $5. Yes. They didn't even want the lemonade. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Like you don't, you're not selling lemonade. Do not stand here and sell lemonade. Sell how cute you are. And, and, and sell and sell young entrepreneurship. Because by the way, I'm one of those people who you know slid out five dollars for lemonade I don't want because it's like yeah. I want to support the young entrepreneurs. And and that's actually really our business model is yeah. that, is that you know we're engaging customers in the conversation of young leadership and yeah. and and that the, the the students who can do the best are actually outside of the commoditized world 
because basically what happened was Mets jumped into the commoditized world of the painting business. And it's really big and it's really commoditized. And should I choose this person or this person or this person? Where instead, you know, staying in the space of, wow, this is really cool. This person is looking to, to employ other students to get through school. So they get the big hit about this person is employing students to pay for school. And in Canada, we have one of the largest um, uh, university and college educated uh, populaces in the world. So that's yeah. something people support. And then on top of it, student entrepreneurship. So it really is, it really is neat. So, um, so, so post, post student works, like I, I, I know you've been, you've been out in the, uh, you know, working really successfully. Why don't, why don't you walk through sort of, you know, the different roles that you've taken and, and, and what you've learned will sort of walk through sort of the career path that you chose. Well, um, and I think I started like most people with uh, the idea that I was going to continue to be, you know, super successful. And, right. I, and I still, I still struggle with that word. Right. You know, um, what, what does it really mean? And yeah. you get everyone who comes in and, you know, the cliche job interview question is, what do you want to, what do you, where do you see yourself in 25 years? Right. I see myself in your chair. Right. You know, <laughs> as the president. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, and then, so I went into the heavy equipment industry. I worked with um, uh, Tor- uh, Tormont Cat, and um, I, I really got to know uh, long-term relationship customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it's kind of a different world, um, but it's really insightful. So because dealing with a customer that you deal with continuously that never goes away and can't and really can't go away because they bought a machine from you. Yes. Uh, really makes you understand how to manage customer relationships and, and the value of relationships. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I worked through various heavy equipment companies, uh, manufacturers and dealers, um, and uh, then kind of went out on my own to, to help people. Right. Uh, and, and that comes out of a progression that that idea that I was going to be the president um, because that's where I would have like the most control that that idea shifted in my head. Right. And I, and I learned that um, the person with the most influence isn't determined by position. Okay. Uh, the person who, who leads an organization doesn't nece- isn't necessarily the leader. And it's gotten it's got me into trouble at, at times, but, you know... Um, I, I always see you in trouble, Ben. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In a fun like, way, and that just, it, it, that, that's who Matt is. Matt's his trouble. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I learned that the, the person that, that leads, um, in a sense, it, are, are many, many organizations, people who are willing to to make decisions. Right. Um, and, and that's not to be bossy, but it's just like a, a lot of people um, are scared to make decisions. For sure. Yeah. Um, and that you can, you can like literally make decisions in an area that isn't yours, but if you make them more decisively and with, you know, with better feedback to the people, um, you can influence them to go in that direction. And I, I, I kind of started to fall in love with that style of work really early on in my, uh, time with the cat dealer, um, I became sort of an influencer around different, how, how we did certain business processes. And right. then the senior management and the CIO started sending me out to different companies right. that they own. Okay. Just to like drop in and visit. Wow. Talk to them. And 
talk to them about how they could do it differently or this initiative and, you know, really just be an influencer. Hmm. Um, and, and I, I started to learn that that really was um, both the most powerful way to do things, but also made me the best. Right. By, by not having authority, um, you actually do better work. You actually do more work to convince people, mm-hmm. to, to teach people, to, so that the decision, they, they, they make the decision to follow. Yes. Rather than, you know, the shortcut of like, well, I'm tired. I need this done. Go do it. Yes. Well, what about this? It doesn't matter. I said, just go do it. Yeah. And I, I think I eventually got tired of that shortcut. <laughs> well, and it so doesn't work, right, Mets? You and you and I both know that. And certainly it wouldn't work with you. You know, you're just so powerful. It's like, wow, trying to force Mets into doing something. And that's and that's and that's really what what sometimes weak organizations will do. It's like, it's like, no, people need to powerfully choose. I want to do this. And and it takes longer, you know, typically to get that real choice. I'm choosing this. I get it. Yes, Matt, let's do this. Rather than and they're sort of sort of chose, but they really sort of chose because like you said, the president said they had to. Okay, I got it. This is my job. I want to keep this paycheck coming along. And yeah. what ends up happening is they prove the president wrong. The president yeah. is going to be wrong on this choice because I'm really not going to fully engage. And and as a result, it's going to it's going to fail. Yeah. 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 So I, like I, I fell in love with working that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, it, it got me in trouble eventually because my tentacles ended up so deep across that organization that meetings would come up and people would ask questions. And the first question would be, well, what does Mets think about this? <laughs> and he's not here. He's not even involved in this. What does it matter what he thinks? I don't know. Just curious what Mets would think about that. <laughs> so yeah, that wasn't, that may have gone too far, but right. Um, yeah, so I think part of the choice to go out on my own um, and work with dealers, um, and especially smaller dealers, right? Is that I get a lot more joy out of um, working with people and influencing them and showing them why and how and what's possible and um, yeah, yeah. And so, so you know, just for for our young leaders, obviously, you know, you chose these, you know, these the big organizations, and and again, you know, he was a, with. I don't know how to pronounce it, Lieber, and then also, uh, you know, Tormont Cot. These are monstrous organizations, really, really big, and lots and lots of really smart people in them too, right? Like, you know, big organizations like that, you know, at a senior level, really, really, really smart, smart people. What, what was it like working in that type of a, an organization? What were some of the challenges? What were some of the benefits? You know, how, how do you see that? Um, I, I think... What you, what you start to appreciate about organizations, uh, especially if you've moved through some of them, uh, and, and what I would speak to you know, younger people about is um, to understand um, how you're learning in being part of a big organization right? Um, and how the organization's culture affects that. Um, at Tormont, you know, just by being involved in various situations with clients and because of the culture and the experience of all those people around you, uh, you, you learn things and you don't realize you're learning them. Right. And then you, then you leave and then you realize you have this understanding of how things work that when you maybe get to a smaller place, um, they don't 
you just don't have that understanding. Right. Um, and it hasn't been developed. And, you know, you realize that uh, you've learned it just by being there. Um, and that you've taken on that culture, mm-hmm. you know, what your focuses are, um, that you take those on. Right. And, and I think that is a benefit because to try and learn these things in a small organization where they don't exist on your own, um, really it's going to hamstring you a little bit. Right. Um, but like I said, if you could go and speak to young people, uh, who are just getting started to really understand that that's what's happening to them. Yeah. I think they're just starting a job and trying to do a great job. Right. Um, but really that's what's happening. And I was lucky. I, I went into Tormont's management training program. Right. So there was already this kind of expectation that you were allowed to do the job you were in, but you know, to poke around a little extra and take a little more time. And because your job was really also just to learn what was happening. Right. Right. So it's, uh, cultures are really interesting, uh, influencer on people's development. Uh, I think really under misunderstood or under understood, Mm. you know, um, because it affects how people act for a long time. Absolutely. Culture, culture is enormous, you know, and, 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 and like you said, it's, it's something that, uh, uh, I, I, as I go along, I see, wow, it's more and more important. You know, it's just so critical about how a culture sets up and, and it, there's so, so many advantages to having a rich culture and, and, and also what your organization does. Uh, really sets up your culture. And I know one of the things, and I, and I didn't want to miss it, you talked about is relationship selling. And again, just so our young leaders, you know, um, recognize, you know, a lot of times those enormous uh, machines that you see, uh, you know, on building sites or by the side of the road, you know, these, the, the organizations that Metz has worked with, um, you know, in, in the past, he was part of being a sales manager for a general manager for strategic sales. And so what was it like setting up and managing these long-term relationship sales? Um, it's, um, hmm. the, the relationship is there no matter what in, in that industry. Um, and the, the question is, do you choose to, um, live it? Okay. And that, that would be a great difference between different organizations, you know, at the cat organizations, there really is an understanding that this is a, a, a lifelong partnership, right? Like the life of the machine. Yeah, you're not. You can't really get rid of that customer, and it's not wise to get rid of that customer uh, under unless there are you know extenuating circumstances. But you're you're traveling together through the life, a marriage to of the, that lasts the life of that machine, right? Uh, and, and that goes, and that then turns into future selling, right? Right. Uh, other organizations are much more um, sales oriented, and once the machine is sold that relationship kind of dies. Right. Like, well, you know, call the service guys. Uh, they'll look after you. I'll see you in five years. Right. Right. And, and so, um, I really enjoyed that aspect of, um, developing that relationship to make sure that after that, that the, at the start of a sale, that relationship gets continued and becomes something that's worked on, uh, continuously. Right. Um, because it does change, um, your relationship with that customer. And in my speaking, I, I talk about, um, 
how do you, how do you change that relationship from like consultative selling, which is what you know, a lot of people try and do, right. you know, really understand the customer, meet their needs, find solutions and, and then present them with what meets those needs. Right. Um, but to really go a step further is to become a trusted advisor. That, that your relationship is so deep with that customer that you're at the table when they actually sit and debate what to buy. Yeah. yeah. You know? And then, and then if you really have a strong relationship to be able to say, yeah, my solution is not even the best solution. Right. Yeah. And then really build trust. And I, I remember going to see some customers um, with some salespeople and I work mostly in after sales. Um, and because of that, that longer relationship, that more day-to-day relationship with the customer, when I would show up at the customer, I was like more welcome. Right. Like, Come sit down, talk yeah. to me. I've got these problems. Yes. That we're having. Can you help me solve these problems? Um, and then like the sales guy would be told, I, I literally, there's one customer who would tell the sales rep, well, you're new, go sit in the corner. Like, I like no use for you. And he's like, you need, and this guy actually said, you know, you need to come to the meetings, um, for the next year, but I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear a word from you in a year. If you're still here, you can start talking. <laughs> the service guy would be, you know, a partner Yes, because they, they live that. And, and that relationship, building relationships like that with customers, uh, works in some industries I and mean, you can't do it if you're selling TVs at Best Buy, but no. uh, maybe you can. You know, yeah. I've met sales reps in Best Buy. Uh, that person's been coming in them for like thirty years to buy their stuff because they trust, right? Yeah. No, I I I, I hear you. Uh, I found Future Shop better, candidly, because they were commissioned, and 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 I would I would you know, hey, oh yeah, okay, great. How are you? Come you know, come help me. What do you think? And I really felt again like that connection, and they really knew what I needed, and I'd ask them, I'd talk to them, but but it's it's kind of developing and earning that relationship, right? And and I think everyone already gets Mets who's listening is, is like, Mets is going to tell you what he thinks. Like, just bang, I'm going to tell you what I think, whether it's in my best interest or not. Because, because again, you're more, you're just, you, you just are a real individual and you'll say, say what you think. And that's in the best interest of the customer. So then you can really put it on the table. And, and again, I think obviously early on, a, a new sales rep, is still just learning is still developing. And a lot of times they just aren't authentic. And, and to me, what you are is really authentic and that's really powerful um, in all roles in life. Yeah. I, I think it's um, like criminals, you know, if you tell a lie, you eventually get caught in it. And I, th- I think it's the same in all aspects of life. If you can't be authentic or be truthful about what you want to sell or what you're trying to get done, um, then eventually you'll be caught out. Yes. Yeah. I, I remember one sales manager that I knew who, who just didn't believe in the product. He's like, we, we just can't sell it. I'm like, then why are you the sales manager? Like, yeah. Yeah. You shouldn't be in this job. Mm-hmm. You don't believe that the product will sell, that it's priced right, or that you can't, you haven't been able to figure out how to sell it at the price it is and find the value for the customer. Then why are you our sales manager? Yes. You know, that yeah. just isn't right. Totally not right. Totally not right. Yeah. Hey, leaders. I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. Since we started this podcast, every person you've heard from has been one of the incredible alumni of the Student Works Management Program. In large part, that's how I got to meet these amazing people 
and participate in their development. Starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. Now back to the episode. And, and, and so, you know, um, I guess you've made the jump from, you know, big corporate career to now running your own management consulting business. So, so what, what created that? What caused that? How do you compare and contrast that, um, et cetera? Uh, so the, the, the jump um, slash push um, happened at a pretty uh, big changing period of my life. Um, I'd just gotten married and um, my wife is in the arts mm -hmm. and travels around to various contracts and film and theater. And um, I just saw myself sitting in an office and having to be in the office right. and my wife somewhere else. Um, and so it just all kind of came together quite suddenly. Right. And um, I just decided I'd, I'd rather be more flexible. Yeah. Uh, even if I make less money. Right. Um, to live life the way I want to live it, to work with the kind of people I want to work with. Like I, I, sometimes that a, a new client is not a good client. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, we're just not going to work. Like, right. I, can't, I can't work with you. So <laughs> yeah. I better not start or maybe uh, I should, we should just stop. Yeah. Um, because we both want to be successful. Yeah. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be a grind. So yeah, that, that was kind of the impetus. I uh, just wanted to change life. The The corporate world is, uh, like I said, it's a great place to learn things. Mm. Um, but the I, I had some like interesting experiences uh, working for one corporation that was um, very focused on profit. Right. So to the point where like the employees would uh, shortchange themselves for the sake of the shareholder. Wow. And uh, so we were like on the road for multiple weeks driving around, um, servicing equipment and, um, dinner time came and they said, well, let's just go to subway, you know, um, it'll save some money. It's good for the shareholder. And I'm like, well, that like, I'm out here driving around, right? I don't need to eat junk yeah. just for the shareholder. Um, and, and I think, that, you know, I, I personally struggle with that kind of corporate mentality Yeah, and it's all about profit. It's all about the shareholder making the most possible money. Um, you know, we have, we have responsibilities to society. We have responsive, a lot of responsibility to employees yeah. uh, more than we actually do. Yeah. Uh, and I, I did work for another organization it was a family corporation, but, and, and there the corporation really lived uh, and exists to support the employees. Right. The owner takes plenty of money. Yeah. Um, this is a big organization uh, and does really well. But um, for the rest, they're very generous yeah. with the employees and just kind of spread the money around that the organization is making because that they're the people. Yeah. They're, they're why the organization exists is to feed families. Yeah. So, and I, and that, that mentality is kind of important to me. Mm -hmm. And I think by going out on my own and, and leaving corporate, 
Um, I can either choose to work with corporations that have that kind of mindset or work with family organizations that really understand that, you know, the reason they're in business is because they've got guys in the shop that need to feed their families. And when push comes to shove, it's important that they find it. Otherwise they have to lay these guys off and that has an impact. And I think that's, that's personally valuable to me. Yeah. And so this gives me the choice to live life that way. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, again, I think um, there's a real big circle or the world's very harmonious when it's working right. Right. And, 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 and how can I get shareholder value if my employees aren't happy? Because who are they bumping up against every day? Our customers. Why will our customers want to work for our organization if our employees aren't really happy and engaged and, and motivated? Right. And then and then. If the customers aren't, aren't, aren't happy, why are they going to give the organization the money so you have shareholder value? Like to me, it's, it's, um, it's, it's the whole thing. To me, it's disrespectful for, um, you know, someone at your level to be expected to go eat at Subway all the time. You know, when I, I remember there's an organization, I, um, I, I can't remember what they are, but the, 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 their idea was, how do you eat at home? You know, yeah. what is your home like? Well, you should stay in a home, a hotel like your home is like, you know, like we should treat you how you how you there and make sure that, again, you, you know, or, or if anything, the, the same or better. Right. So, okay, yeah. great. Like, you know, so it's 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 how do how do you look at it holistically? Like 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 most most um, solutions in life. It's not so simple. Shareholder value. It's not so simple. Profit. Right. Like profit comes yeah. for all sorts of reasons. and and um, and uh, yeah, no, I think that's I think that's great. And again, it's a great thing for our leaders to see. It's life's life's always when you look at it, it's way more complex, I think, than sometimes the headlines say, right? Yeah, like making decisions um, in an organization like that, you, you really do have to think. Like I I worked on trying to get a lunch program right. um, in a place with like really wholesome lunches. Um, because you watch, you know, your staff leave every day and go eat junk food. Yeah. They're, they're out of the building. They eat junk food. They come back. There's no way that they're happy or performing well, you know, on McDonald's. Yes. Um, and so what's that doing to your productivity, yeah. to your quality? Yeah. Um, when people are feeling nauseous from their Big Mac. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to trash talk McDonald's, but no. I like it every I like it every once in a while too. But yes. um, but is it consistent? Know, you know, way to feed and deliver value to myself, and just to share that. So it's actually back in the day we used to be in hotels, and at lunch during our trainings, our operators would go get crappy food largely, yep. and they'd come back. Well, one of the things that we did, I don't know how many years ago seven to 10 years ago is we started bringing in food to all of our trainings. Yeah. That thought, Hey, our, our operators during those trainings will deliver more, be able to deliver more value, take more value from the training, learn more, engage more. Um, it'll save time. Um, and, uh, it just will run better. So, so now at pretty well, every one of our trainings, there's food and there's, yeah. like you said, good, wholesome food or, you know, good food, uh, that, that I would normally eat. Um, and, uh, and, and, and again, it just, it just works, you know, and, and, um, you know, back in the day, um, just not, um, maybe not, not, not the same awareness. I, I think as well though, sorry, there's another factor is the business is doing better. 
So with a more successful business, you can afford and go, oh, okay, because it's a pretty big line item when you look at it at the end of the year. Oh, wow, look, these you know, hundreds of uh, operators are eating at you know, different times, but yeah. it, it, it works. You know, the more successful you can do, the more, the more, the more you can provide. So, yeah, that, that, those you know, good decisions take a long time to make. Yeah. Um, because when you really start digging into it, um, there's more variables than you think. Yes. Um, and so I think one of the greatest compliments I was ever paid by at one of my team members was, you know, that's your funny. We come to you with a bunch of stuff and tell you a whole bunch of things. And then you just sit there for a minute. Mm-hmm. You don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then you start talking. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I do. I'm usually just thinking about what you said yeah. before I just say something. Yeah. You know, it's like the, the, the old proverb, right? Better, uh, better to be remain quiet and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> exactly. Now, well, I still remember years ago uh, talking to my father. He's a very, very successful lawyer and asking him a question. And then it was just this enormous pause. And and it was a long like it was a few minutes. Uh, you know, dad, are you there? Oh, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, still thinking, you know, I go, you know, isn't that awesome? Right. Like, that's a great that's a great habit for our young leaders. And I do not show that habit a lot. So, you know, that would not be something uh, <laughs> we have. A, we have the same kind of story in my family. My, my sister once asked my father at dinner, uh, was Napoleon good or bad? And it took him two nights to answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is very ambiguous. Yes, I'm not surprised. Our pros and cons to Napoleon. Challenging <laughs> question. And by the way, just so, you, so, so all our leaders know, Metz's sister, Micah, was also one of our top top operators, did really well with us. So, so, um, so, so, you know, Metz, what, what, what have been some of your biggest failures or mistakes and how did you learn from those? Um, I, I would say two things. Um, one, we kind of talked, we touched on, which is um, defaulting to um, commanding or to just pulling the boss card. Okay. I need this done. Get yeah. it done. Yeah. You know? Um, and I want it done this way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, without, without full explanation or without really instructing or coaching people so that they can make smart decisions on their own later. Yes. And I, and I think I've done a lot of good decisions and activities around that idea too. But I, when I've slipped into that mode, I think I've been way less productive. Right. In fact, I, I had a client uh, that I worked with that really, I got really embedded in and then they wanted me to come on and like take on a general manager role. And I kind of took it on for a while. And so then I became like, well, this is how we need to do these things. I want this done. And I, I lost my influence. I lost the time that I spent teaching people and this organization really needed teaching Yeah, uh, and not. And so I, I stepped back out of it. Right. Talked to the owner and I said, we're, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going back to what we were doing. It was working better. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Um, and then the other, the other thing that I, th- way that I think I failed at times is um, taking on too many things, mm. you know, um, get into organizations that need a ton of work um, where there's a ton of opportunity and you just start grabbing at all of them. Yeah. And there's just too many to push at once. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so then you fail. Then some of the initiatives just like you push it once every three months and it doesn't move. Yeah. You know, so. Um, Any way you've looked at how to how to look at that challenge, you like, you know, how have you how have you have you, you know, when you do it right, how do you how do you do it? Uh, Mets around that. Uh, I think what I've done it right is is making sure that there are people who take on that uh, initiative mm-hmm. rather than being the person behind every initiative. Got it. Identify, um, but you really have to develop and empower and train and teach those people then to take on that initiative. Yeah, and then then it then it flourishes because it becomes something that other people are working on, but other people are invested in. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I, I, I spent a lot of time, uh, in, in software and information systems. And, uh, I've always wondered why people are so passionate about information systems. Right. Once, once a new business system is in place, there's always a few people who are just like tooth and nail would not give it up, you know? And because, I'm starting to understand that it's because these people were involved in getting it going and it's a ton of extra work and it's, right. you know, a, a lot of creativity went into it and thought to try and get it to work. And now it's like their, their baby. Yeah. And it, and, and because it, it, it actually has an embodiment, which is the, the system that they can identify with it. And, and other things in businesses aren't quite like that. Like processes can't be like that and whatever. Um, but a system like that, people are just like, they will not let it go. It's like, for it's sure. The best system is like, it's just a tool, like throw it out if it's crap. <laughs> right. And, you know, the, the data is the important part. No, no, no. It's, this is, this is, it's very funny. And, and I think that that same idea when people feel that invested and they yeah. can identify with what it is, then they really won't let go of it. Yeah. That's what you, you try and get people to think and do. Yeah. And I, well, and I can't, I can't speak. Uh, I can't agree more, Matt, with what you said is, is that, is that, you know, sometimes just that eagerness to move forward, eagerness to sort of, oh, great, let's do this. And then, oh, let's do this. And then let's do this. All of a sudden, one more too many, let's do this is, yep. you got a problem, you know, and, and it's not embedded in the system. People don't get it. People don't understand it yet. And it just falls flat. So it really yep. is less is more many times and, and, and focusing, you know, uh, making sure people really get it and it's engaged and the enrollment's full and people, okay, I got it. I got it. And that's something that, um, it, it, again, takes experience. It's why, it's why leadership can't be, uh, learned from a book, you know, by the way, I've, they read all sorts of leadership books, but you can't be, it's gotta be experience. It's gotta be practiced, etc. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I still, because it's so prevalent in like, where we can reconnect it on LinkedIn and stuff, everyone talking about leadership, leadership, leadership. Yeah. And you really start to think like, what, what is it really? And I, I, I worry sometimes that a lot of the associations with like the personality traits or whatever yeah. that people associate with leadership um, are, you know, too much machismo or yeah. you know, strength and all. I don't know. I, like I said, I, th- I think the most powerful people in organizations are just very strong influencers. Yes. Um, and those are the really the leaders and, and, and think about it the opposite way. I mean, like a bad apple is a leader, yeah. right? In a bad way. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're strong influencers. They, they 
are passionate about what they're angry about yeah. and they influence people. That, there's leadership for you. Yeah. Well, it's, it's actually, so, it, yeah, it's, it's just to speak to that is, is that, um, you, you know, again, just because someone's got a title doesn't make them a leader. Right. And, and, and also if you, um, you know, this past season, there's enough teams that it doesn't really matter who I'm speaking about, but there was, there was one, you know, really not a great apple in one of the teams and there's no question it impacted that team's character and vibe and energy and ultimately success. Were they still very successful? Yes, they're still very successful. There's no doubt they would have been 10, 15% more successful, would have had even more returning operators. But there's, like you said, that that bad vibe, that bad apple, whatever you want to call it, not that they're not great people or whatever. But, but yeah, like in not really getting that dealt with, that can be a really, really negative impact on your business, on your team. And uh and, and, and yeah, there's no question. And to me, the soft skills are way more important than those, you know, again, uh, but, but sometimes you also need to be firm because one of the things people I'm sure are hearing um, about you is you're firm too, right? Like there's, there's power and soft, both, both really <laughs> efforts, right? Yeah. There, there, there's hardness and firmness. It's yeah, like yeah. You know, the, the cushiony outside, but then when you push far enough, it's, it's solid. It's, it's, it's a wall. Like, <laughs> That's yeah, right. Yeah. It's like, no, it's cushioned wall. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so, um, you know, if someone wanted to do what you do, uh, what key habits would they want to steal from you? Matt? <laughs> Wow. Um, to do what I do. Um, I was just thinking about that. When we were talking about leadership and I don't know if it's a key habit. Um, I think almost the most useful thing to, to get good at, to work, um, as a management consultant, um, is not to want to have your name on the successes that happen. Yeah. And that's a, funny thing to say and it's something that i've definitely struggled with through my career is like i you know all these initiatives i kind of like feel good when people are like yeah all that happened because mets did it yeah yeah. Um, and he started that and that's you know um but really to be able to influence and then have your name not on it that to, to get pleasure out of that is really a critical characteristic for being able to do this and, and at the way that i do it because like I don't, my work is really to that long-term relationship. Yeah. I, I work with the client on a day-to-day basis, long-term. I don't write a report and leave yeah. it with them and say, this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just sit beside them. Yeah. I'm like, hey, today we need to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, yeah do, let's do that. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. yeah. And, and by the way, as well, Matt's like, I think it's, it's, it's actually one of the hardest things to do. Um, and one of the best things to do is, again, like doing your best, getting over that ego piece, getting over that. I need to have this on my door. I need to be it needs to be mine, you know, and just sharing, sharing, sharing the success, sharing. Oh, and so and so's help with this and so and so's leading this and so and so's leading. And, and again, not not um, like it's just great you know, if we can get off our ego. Okay. And it's hard because our egos are just so intertwined, right. In, in our, and certainly for me, right. Like, you know, again, it's just to speak for myself. It's, 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 
you know, constantly learning, Hey, you know, don't, don't, don't make it the Chris show, you know? And, and uh, that's, that's just, that's just powerful, you know, and just, you know, having it shared, having it shared, having it shared is so powerful. Yeah. I think ego serves like one useful purpose, which is to prevent the crushing of your soul. If you're like selling all the time and getting lots of no's. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I I think that's, that's when ego is there. I, I had a, one of my first, really my favorite first boss, um, kind of mentor. Um, I had issues dealing with some salespeople at the dealership and he's like, you, you gotta treat salespeople different because, um, they rely on their ego right? because they go out and get rejected all the time and their ego keeps them going. So if you want to influence salespeople, you just need to stroke that ego a little bit because then, you know, that's an important part. And I, I think that is, I mean, the ego is useful for preventing your soul from being crushed when you get a lot of rejection so you can keep going. Yeah. But, uh, in a management role, um, I, I don't think that ego has much place. Yeah. And, and, and that's really interesting because again, it's kind of like, it's really important to get to that management role or the senior management role. And then it's really, again, learning to pull that down, learning to pull that down, learning to sort of, again, not become less and less important in the important role that you're in so that you can make the biggest impact and the biggest impact for all those around you. And the more everyone wins, Hey, the more you win. Right. But, but it's, it really is, it's tough. And that's why, that's why, again, a lot of companies aren't run very well because they're, they're leaders who, who, who bust out into being very successful, then all of a sudden get in their own way, you know? So. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I also have to appreciate it for, for young people getting into a corporate world that, um, the higher you get up, the more you have to spend time just dealing with garbage. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, even in a middle management role, you might actually be having more fun because you actually get to like execute and yeah. take care of things and work with people. And, you know, the higher you get, I mean, you almost want to say you want your best people at kind of like a, a sub senior role because that's where all the day-to-day influence and execution happens where you get the performance and the top, you just need someone who likes paperwork and <laughs> dealing with annoying people and, <laughs> and the, the legals and the finance and the, and the, how do we structure this? And a lot of, a lot of things. And again, obviously very critical, obviously very important, but there's no question, uh, you know, change it, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, challenge it. So, so one, yeah. one final question, uh, Mets, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? Uh, I'm going to, go back a little bit to um that idea of how we treat people um you know tomorrow's leaders need to have um empathy for people need to understand um fairness for people um there's going to be a lot of us on this planet <laughs> and and our decisions influence more than just the people we work with more than just our own success, but influence, um, the whole world. Right. And so I think it's really critical that our future leaders, uh, and I think it's one of those character traits that often now kind of associated with the millennial group is, um, that, that extra time to think and make decisions, that understanding of the bigger picture, the understanding of people. Um, I think those are the, like the really critical, um, 
criteria for our future leaders because if we don't have that and continue to have, you know, profit, purely profit oriented, you know, success at all costs and, and, you know, social costs, environmental costs, all those yeah. things, if those all get thrown away. I said, if we have more of those kind of leaders, then, then we're in real trouble, trouble. Right. Yeah, more, more trouble than we're in. So yeah, no, that's so true. So true. Well, yeah, cause it's, uh, it, we're not, we're not going to change it or keep it from getting really ugly if we don't have people that think that way. And have you ever seen, have you seen the, the B Corp? No. Post the, I'll send you the, the link of their LinkedIn. Okay, uh, please. Labs um, have this categorization called B Corps where they, we, we really do put value on things that, you know, don't fit in the ledger. Yes. That's having value. Yes. Uh, and I think, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. One, 100%. And I, I, again, the, the holistic, you know, what's, what's really the cost of the product, you know, when you consider the environmental cost, when you consider the social cost, like, you know, how are we actually packaging everything and looking at everything? So yeah, that very much interests me, uh, Mets. So, uh, so Mets, thank you very much for, uh, for, for coming and joining us on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Uh, really appreciate it. And you're welcome. Thank you. Okay. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey leaders, I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.